Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast episode 74, World Champions. Welcome back to that Champions of the World podcast. No Jack this week. My fellow champion of the world is too busy with other stuff going on, but I've got a very special guest and a fellow champion of the world. And maybe the Chelsea goat in terms of podcasting is Mr. Stamford Chidge himself. Chidge, how are we doing on this fine Sunday morning? I'm I'm feeling a bit, um, yeah, I think my head's kind of a bit, you know, done in after the celebrations <laughs> last night, actually, Nick. I was kind of feeling you kind of, you, you brought brought on a kind of a, a vintage sub or something, a veteran sub to replace Jack, which I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about, but there you go. Oh no, Chich, exactly. You were, you were, you were my, uh, you were my star signing and uh, Jack, unfortunately just couldn't make it today. Uh, so I'm so just, no, just keeping the, just keeping the seat warm, Jack. Don't worry. Um, as I always do with guests, I get people, you know, to, I get them to give themselves a plug. Now, Chidge, you know, I'm sure there are people in the Amazon rainforest yet to be discovered <laughs> who know about the Chelsea fancast. But if there are some that don't, tell people about the brilliant Chelsea uh, fancast that you run, where they can find you, and obviously where they can follow you, because you also do, you know, your your column for, for Football London, mm. etc. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've been doing the Chelsea fancast since 2008. So we're now in our 14th year. Uh, we started just before uh, the... Uh, Moscow European Cup final, would you believe? But um, yeah, I mean, basically we put it out on Acast predominantly, which is a really good uh, podcast platform, but it seeds to everywhere. So, you know, whether you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or a SoundCloud, Podbean, it doesn't matter. It'll pretty much push them out everywhere. But Acast is our primary platform. We've also got a website, ChelseaFanCast.com, and you can find everything there as well. Um, and as you very kindly said, Nick, I'm, I'm at Stanford Chidge on Twitter and all the socials. And we're at Chelsea Fancast on all the socials as well. And yes, I do. I write a, a weekly column for the wonderful people at football.london, which I, I have to say, I, I really enjoy. I love writing. So that's great to do. 
lovely stuff lovely stuff yeah all chidge's links will be in the description you say make sure you check them out make sure you check out the fancast which for those who are unaware goes out tonight on sunday instead of the usual yeah monday usually monday slots. monday monday at seven we do it and friday at seven we do a preview show on a friday as well yeah make sure you check them out brilliant brilliant show and if you've not i mean i'm sure everyone on twitter has already seen jonathan kidd's fan bites so i mean if you've got two minutes of your time then why don't you have two hours and 20 minutes of your time or whatever to yeah. listen to the podcast on a monday night um right chidge we are champions of the world chelsea mm. football club have completed this set it's like Thanos. we've got all our infinity stones we are now the most powerful being on the planet. We are, I mean, we are, yeah, we're completely, I think we're only the fifth club now to have won every single trophy, you know, sort of available to us. Uh, even, I think, ahead of Liverpool, because I think as Miguel Delaney said, Liverpool didn't win the Cup Winners' Cup. So I guess we have got that over them. But it's just your kind of feeling, because obviously, you know, we are we are different different sort of areas here. I've grown up very much with, Chelsea, with just knowing what success is being a Chelsea fan. But for you, like yesterday, obviously, was special as a trophy. But kind of for you, like the culmination, not the culmination, I guess, but almost like, your Chelsea journey, like you have now kind of seen us win it all. Just how special is that to you? Yeah, you know what, Nick? I think you're right. And I'm, I don't I don't mean to sound ageist at all, but I think for people like you who are lucky enough to have been, you know, born into an era where we're expected to win everything, it's it's perhaps a little different, you know. I mean, I mean, I, I started following Chelsea kind of in the late 70s and we were absolutely awful. We were in, we were in Division 2 for a lot of that time. You know, we'd only ever won the uh, the the well, it was the league the division one in in 1955, the League Cup in 65, the FA Cup in 70, and the uh, European Cup Winners' Cup in 71. And we were a, we we were a long way from what was a superb late 60s, early 70s side by then. And I mean, I never thought I'd see us win the FA Cup again in my lifetime. I mean, getting kind of kind of you know a quarter final or a semi final was was considered brilliant, you know. Um, of course, there was the mem- full members' cup in '86, but uh, brilliant though that was. That's not a major trophy, so you know I-, I never really expected to see anything like it. And then, of course, we got you know in the '90s when uh, you know Hoddle and Hullet came in, we started looking like a proper team, and then it fizzled out a bit. I mean, it's beyond my wildest dreams, and I think I think I think if if anything, this trophy and this win, you know, is is very much for the. The, the real kind of the hardcore, the, the foundation of a lot of Chelsea's sport. Because, I mean, you know, like it or not, uh, most of the match-going match, uh, match support, or those that are there on Stamford Bridge, you know, we've got the oldest season ticket demographic in the league. I mean, they're kind of my age and above, really. So I'm in, I'm in, I'm in my mid-50s. It's, it's that kind of age. And they're the people that really started following us when we won the FA Cup in 70. So, you know, I think for that generation particularly, you know, this is absolutely massive. It really is. Um, from a personal point of view, and I, I wrote about this, funny enough, we, we mentioned my Football London uh, column. The last one I wrote was really, it was written before uh, before the semi-final, actually. But I kind of really laid out why why this would, this is huge for me. For, you know, personally, I wanted to, really wanted us to win this. Not just to complete the set, although that, I think mean, that in itself is massive. But I grew up in the 70s and the 80s watching Liverpool winning all those European Cups, winning, seeing Villa, Forest winning European Cups. And then in the, the you know, that kind of progressed to the 90s and Manchester United being really, really dominant. And I, and I remember, I remember, I mean, it was the Inter- Intercontinental Cup then. Uh, it was really just between a, a South American side and a European side. So the European champions versus the Copa Libertadores. So pretty much as it's ended up today, funnily enough. Um, 
and it seemed really exotic and and i and you know and i i mean i thought we'd never play in that ever you know i mean we're never going to win the european cup that's just insane you know if you'd have said that in 1979 they'd have put you in a mental asylum you know as a chelsea fan so i've always hated the fact that that liverpool and man united have had all this success and all this respect and we never have we've not even been in the conversation well as you rightly said liverpool have not completed the set barcelona have not completed the set real madrid have not completed the set so we are very much in that conversation now and and leading it and i love that i mean to to, to know that as a chelsea supporter supporting us for over four years is just absolutely massive i love it yeah and obviously i know when you talk about the fan cast you also got your uh little trophy site as well that updates you know you want to see chelsea overtake <laughs> yes. arsenal as well so that's one closer to arsenal um well, the, the sad thing is nick I, i'm not entirely sure whether that particular website which is which i do i, I could i'll show you in a minute i have it booked up bookmarked on my phone but i don't know if they'll i, I don't know if they'll count that but uh you know, it's all right. We'll win a few more trophies this season and we'll get close. We're only five behind Arsenal. I mean, if we could get third on that, because, I mean, United and Liverpool have, got, have won 43 trophies and 42 trophies, respectively. And we've got 25. I won't see us catch them up in my lifetime. I'm pretty sure of that. But if we could get clear in third over Arsenal, who are only five behind, and stay above City then that is massive. I mean, to be considered, you know, and I think that's the point, mate. I think we, we now need to be given some fecking respect as a football club. We should be considered to be up there with Man United and Liverpool as, as, as that kind of size of club with that kind of track record of success. Arsenal and Spurs shouldn't even be in the conversation anymore. And that's, that's also beautiful. Yeah, no, it is. It is truly, truly glorious. And I said, yeah, Chelsea winning the Club World Cup. And, you know, crucially as well, we made amends for the pain that was 2012. So maybe finally some of those demons, those ghosts have been, those ghosts have been laid to rest that happened there. But yeah, I said it, it wasn't, you know, booking brief again. The two games were not the greatest Chelsea games to watch. They were relatively stressful, um, as, as it has tended to be the kind of theme watching Chelsea this last month or so, with the exception of every single time we've played Spurs. Um, it's just been relatively stress-free. But Chidge, I guess, your kind of thoughts on on those sort of, you know, the two performances we've seen, because, and I think one player in particular who has been under, you know, a lot of pressure ever since he made that, did that stupid interview. And he's, you know, the kind of general consensus was he's got, he's got to do his talking on the pitch. Well, he did, he has bagged a goal in a semi-final for us and a goal in the final for us. That is Romelu Lukaku, our 97 million pound man. There's still, I guess, a lot of, you know, that people want from him. But is this like Rom perhaps on the first rungs on that ladder to redemption for you? That's a really good question, Nick. I was thinking that watching the game, actually. Um, the honest answer is I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, the only answer to that will be given in time, won't it? Um, I, I mean, look, he, he's paid to score goals and he scored the winner against Al Halau in the semi-final to get us to the final. And he scored the first goal, which was massively important. And it was a really proper goal as well. It was a good goal uh, in the final yesterday. Those are big games. You need your big players to stand up and he did that so I, I hope that maybe that might go some way into improving what has clearly been a very poor attitude on and off the pitch it has to be said I mean I do think there's a very you know a very healthy debate to be had about whether he does get enough service or not um, and I, I don't think he does I think our style of play 
just doesn't is not designed for a bloody number nine in, in the old old traditional sense. And I think he is a traditional old school number nine in many ways. And the proof in that was there was there we go. You know, Hudson Odoi, goodness gracious me, he has got a left foot and he can use it. I mean, why does he cut in to play on his? Well, we know he's right footed, so that's why he does it. But it just shows you if you're on the playing on the left wing, you know, if you hit it with your left foot, you cross it earlier and it's harder to defend. You know, it's not rocket science. Football is actually quite a simple game. And it was a great cross and a superb striker's header. So good service. Maybe he'll get more goals. The other side of that, Nick, I think is equally true. I mean, I've been saying on the fan cast for weeks, he looks like a player who's playing in boots that are 10 sizes too big for him. And, and yesterday, his, there, were, there were moments when his control was absolutely abject. I mean, the man can't trap cement. You know, and his movement, I think, for a number nine is just appalling. He's so static. You know, he he's slow to get. I mean, I I, I wondered the other night when we were talking about it on, on Friday. I, I wondered if because Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's been saying this for quite a while. Every, every time I've seen Jimmy uh, do any punditry on us, he said the same thing. He's he doesn't think he's fit, and I wonder if he's right. And I don't mean just you know, kind of lazily hasn't got himself fit, although that may be the case. I wonder if he's if that injury is worrying him a bit because you you do use your ankle to launch off, don't you? So, but he just looks slow and he doesn't move to the ball. He doesn't move into space enough for me, you know. And so that's got nothing to do with how bad the service has been. Although I think the service has been bad, but who knows? You you score a goal in a really important match. Um, but let's hope that makes him feel part of the club. Let's. Let's hope that that changes because the trouble is, Nick, the problem that we have with Lukaku is absolutely insoluble. You know, if we have a 97 million quid player who's rubbish and is not contributing, you can't just offload him. You're going to take a massive hit financially on that. So in a way, we have to find a way to make it work. And I think Tuchel realises that, which I think is why he's been so insistent on playing him every match, even though he's been bloody awful. He's kept plugging away because I think what Tuchel's hoping is that it just it will it will it will click sooner or later it will click, and uh, maybe that was the first step on that road. Let's hope so. Yeah, and obviously I think there was an interesting stat I think from Matt Law that came out after the Al Hilal game, which will obviously be updated again since. But I think now with that the stat of the Al Hilal game was I think four of Romelu Lukaku's nine goals have come when Kaiavitz on the pitch. So now you count the final; that's five of his ten goals come on the pitch. And Chidge, I guess, you know, we'll get on to Kai a bit more, you know, briefly talking about him. So, But do you think maybe Kai is, you know, maybe a solution to try and get the best out of Rom? Because it's been, it's we've seen sort of Rom in a four, you know, when we played at a four back and he's kind of been, you know, Z actually almost been sort of seen as the person to try and sort of unlock him a bit. But then in the, you know, the semi-final and final, we saw sort of Kai sort of, you know, sort of playing, sort of linking up with him and, and Kai, you know what? Well, I think Kai's one who le- always wants you leaving more. But I think with Rom, like but we said, there was maybe signs. There was some decent thing cut play. Would you maybe be interested to see Kai and Rom sort of as a partnership maybe going forward? Seeing just maybe as the recent success we've seen out here in the Club World Cup, or I, I do. I mean, this this might be quite a long answer, Nick, because but I've been thinking about this for a while. I mean, there's a there's a reason why Man City don't don't have a problem playing without a number nine. There's a reason why Liverpool don't have a problem playing without a number nine. It's not just because they've got superb strikers in, you know, Liverpool, Firmino, Salah and Mane, and now Giotto, who's also a very good player. And you could say much the same about City. The problem that teams like City, Liverpool and Chelsea have is that they are always having to play against very well-organised, defensively-minded teams who are going to deny you any space whatsoever up front. So... 
you know, it's. I mean, here's a, here's an example. I was thinking about this because I was watching uh, watching the Man U Southampton game yesterday and, and seeing how brilliant Brozier was. And of course, everybody on Twitter is going, "We've got to get him back. Got to get him back. He'll run run right if he plays for Chelsea." Well, he is absolutely brilliant. I got no doubt about that. I'm not so sure he will run right if he plays for Chelsea because he won't get the space that he's getting as a Southampton player. So he'll be having to play through packed defences. And I think you know uh, Lukaku's game is playing off the shoulder of the of the last defender. He's not going to get that space because we're we're not a counter attack team because we're not really the chances for us to counter attack are going to be few and far between. So I mean I think given that that's why it worked much better when we had. Um, you know, we had Mount Werner Havertz or or Pulisic Havertz Mount whatever. You know, not a, a recognised striker necessarily because Havertz, for example, he drops deep, he moves around, he goes from wing to wing as they all do. It's more fluid, it's interchangeable, and it's much harder to deal with defensively. Which I think is why we looked so much better in attack last season, although not not brilliant by any means. And I, I you know, Werner missing. Obvious chances is the is, is the is the is the key there, isn't it? So it's really complicated. I think um, I, I do think that given all of that, what Lukaku needs is given that he's going to be denied the space, given that he's reluctant to move around, given that he doesn't have clearly the individual technique and skill to beat two or three players and whack whack the ball in. He's he's basically relies on strength. I think the key is to play another player with him, and I think I think um, I think Tuchel thought that maybe Werner would be the answer there, but I'm not convinced it is because I don't think Werner's got I don't think Werner's much of a footballer either, really. Uh, but Havertz could be. Uh, I think I think a, a two up front. I mean, you know, in any system that we play, he can either be playing just behind him or to the side of him or whatever. But I think I think. Lukaku does need somebody up there with him. And I think Havertz could be the best option there. And I was actually really delighted when I saw the team yesterday because I thought, oh, hello, you know, okay, he's gone through at the back, which I got. He didn't pick Alonso as as the left wing back, which whilst I love Alonso to pieces, the man, I I mean, I knew that Palmeiras were going to be a very counter-attacking and pacey side up front. That would have been a disaster having Alonso playing there. But I, I thought, hello, Mount, Havertz, Lukaku, that is a front three I like the look of. Um, and I think it, it, they did look a little bit better in that context. So maybe that is the answer. Yeah, fair enough. Very interesting. And obviously, you know, Mason Mount, unfortunately, did go off injured. But Christian Pulisic came on and actually had yeah. a very good game. You know, he was brilliant. He was able to win us for a lot of fouls. You know, Christian Pulisic is a player that I feel like out, people's like view on him probably changes almost like weekly or monthly because of just, you know, one performance, he's a brilliant, he's amazing. The next, you're kind of wondering, what is he? You know, he's been played out of position as well. Christian Pulisic, I guess, you know, good news is we've got Crystal Palace coming up in our next game and he always bags against them. So maybe he's coming into, into a good rate of form for that game. But I guess your thoughts on, on Christian Pulisic, because that was probably the best Christian Pulisic performance we've seen in a while, which I guess is encouraging given, you know, the timing of Mason Mount going off with an injury. And up at this time, we don't know how serious that injury is. Yeah, that's a good point. We don't know how serious the mount injury is, but if it's ankle ligaments, then he's going to be out for a month, I'd say, if if they're bad. But we don't know. But I, I, I'd be surprised if he makes the Palace game, put it that way. Um, I don't think it's much of a yardstick for Pulisic, really, because he's been so terrible recently. And I, and I hate to say that because, you know, under Frank, when we were on lockdown, he was easily our best player, I thought. You know, most I mean, most creative uh, and, and best attacking player, I think. And and he was fantastic. Uh, and and then that 
that you know he got injured in the FA Cup, didn't he, against Arsenal? And we've never really seen that player again. And then he gets injured all the time, or he gets COVID. I, I think maybe he's a confidence player. Actually, I, I wonder how much of an issue it was when Tuchel came in for Pulisic, because of course he had experience of of uh, Tuchel, didn't he, at Dortmund? And I don't think uh, Pulis, uh, I don't think Tuchel played him a huge amount. So maybe he thought, oh God, I'm going to get all that again. And in a way, that's kind of been proven true. I think the other thing with Pulisic is he's, you know, because of the situation that we faced with injuries and COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, he's, he's had to do a job for the team. So he's often played out of position. And you remember, you know, his little grumble uh, to the American media the other week, making that point that he's not really played in his best position a lot recently. Well, I, I agree. I don't think he has. But, I mean, you know, you're playing for a big club, mate. That's what happens. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily grumbled about it, but I think, and it is a fair point. And I think you saw him come on yesterday in what I think is his best position, and he did look a lot better. I mean, there are a couple of really good moves that he was fundamental to, and I think he he was very close, wasn't he, with a shot after a really good move between him and Lukaku and somebody else. I can't remember now. It might have been Kovacic. So, or was it Kante? I can't remember. But you know, yeah, encouraging. I mean, I, I think sadly. And this is the, this is probably true of a lot of Chelsea players. I think they, I mean, actually all players really, you know, they need a run of games, don't they? You know, to get into that rhythm, to get match sharp and to start really getting into gear. And I think Pulisic is definitely one of those. But of course, when you've got, we, we said, I remember I said this at the beginning of the season that we've got a real problem and that we've got a lot of very similar players up front. So how on earth is that going to work? You know, Hudson Adoy, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech, all very similar players in their own little way. That's, you know, you can only ever play one or two of them. What's going to happen? And I think we've perhaps, you know, seen, seen the result of that. But look, let's hope, like Lukaku, that's done him the world of good, winning a trophy. I mean, there's nothing like winning a trophy as a player to boost their confidence and make them feel that they belong, you know, because they'll go down forever in history, won't they? You know, they helped to win Chelsea a really, you know, really important trophy. So let's hope it's really done his confidence a lot of good and we start seeing the best of him again. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Christian Pulisic, yeah, very nearly. I think we were one nil up at the time, and he just fired a shot wide. And you're thinking, Koch. At that point, we were we were motoring, but obviously, we then offered suffered the setback with, you know, a penalty decision that went against us. A penalty decision that, you know, would that be given in Premier League? I'm not so sure, but you know, I guess rules are rules. His hat, Thiago Silva's hand is up there. It goes to one all. Uh, but said Chidge, you know, I guess we get to, you know, our match winner, Kai Havertz. Now, Kai Havertz, for all the frustration, you know, I guess for all the I, I always, when I, whenever I talk about Kai Havertz on this podcast, I always say, normally when I'm watching him, I say, you can see how good he is, but he always leaves me wanting more. Like, you know there's a really good player in there. But just for context of, you know, Kai Havertz, Kai Havertz is the first player to score the match-winning goal in both the UEFA Champions League final and then the subsequent FIFA Club World Cup final since Lionel Messi for Barcelona in mm-hmm. 2011. Occasion. Whatever, whatever we think of Kai Havertz and however much we want him to, you know, do more for us, he is becoming a very big game player for Chelsea. That's two two winning goals in finals now. You know, almost is he becoming this 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 you know modern generation's you know, version of Didier Drogba in terms of the impact in finals for us? Is that maybe a stretch? But is your kind of thoughts thoughts on Kai Havertz? You know, his general sort of performance. Well, if he does it in an, I don't know, I forget now because I'm not very good at stats. But uh, you might know, Nick. I mean, how many how many cup final goals did uh, Didier Drogba score at the top of your head? Uh, I'd say he scored in about ten or eleven. Yeah. I'd okay. Well. Somewhere. when... When Havertz has done ten or eleven, then then we, then we, he can be part of the yeah, conversation. Should, yeah, but uh, I, no, I love Havertz. I really do. I think you're right. There's a hell of a player in there. But I mean, we've got to remember he, he is still quite young, so he's still learning. 
Um, I think he's another one that would benefit from having a, a, a decent run in the side. Um, I mean, in a way, I, I kind of hope that uh, what Pulisic, uh, Pulisic, what uh, what Tuchel does. I mean, okay, Mount's going to be out, which is a real pain because I I really would like to see how the Havertz Lukaku Mount combination would work. I really, really would. Um, I suspect what we'll now see, but, but okay, so scrap that. I'll I'll have Havertz and Lukaku starting. Let's see how that works out for a little while because I think. You know, it does take time to build up a partnership up front. It really does. Um, and there, there were signs. I mean, you know, obviously as well, Havertz created the goal for Lukaku against Al-Hilal too, didn't he? So, uh, and I do think Havertz can possibly benefit from, you know, Lukaku, you know, really being used as a as a lightning rod in a sense, you know, that, I mean, we may think he's shit, but the opposition coaches don't. So they're going to have a couple of defenders marking him for most of the game. So that should create space for the likes of Havertz. And also, if we do play the ball up to Lukaku, he should, ha- I mean, he should have the strength to hold the ball up and lay a short pass off to somebody like Havertz. I have to say, he goes down very easily for a big bloke, so maybe not. But, you know, I think, look, let's, let's give it a run. Let's see Havertz and Lukaku and whoever else is available, whether that be Hudson-Odoi or whether it be Pulisic or Ziyech, you know, as the other one while Mount's out. But let, let's see how that goes. And uh, hopefully, again, it will work. Yeah, no, exactly. And obviously, you know, in before Havertz slotted, tucked away the winning penalty, there was, you know, a lot of, you know, delay before the penalty. Uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, I think, almost fooled all of us into thinking that he was going to be the one taking the penalty. But as he sort of said to Chelsea see afterwards, he said, I expected the Palmeiras players to come around penalty taker. I already told Kai he was going to shoot. I just tried to release the pressure for him, be more calm with three minutes to go. It's an important moment. It worked. Chidge, obviously, I guess a quick like thoughts on that and sort of leadership we've shown from Aspie, but then in general now, a bit of an Aspie appreciation, a bit of an Aspie love fest of a man who has now won it all at Chelsea. The yeah. only sort, he's won it, even the likes of JT, Frank, they didn't win the Club World Cup. So just a, a moment of appreciation for, you know, the brilliance of our, our Mr. Reliable, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Legend, Cesar Aspilicueta. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very, very poetic for Aspie, isn't it? Because that the, the first season he joined us, he played in, you know, the World Club Cup uh, against Corinthians, didn't he, in Tokyo? And uh, and now, towards the end of his career, he's, he's just helped us to win it. Um, I'm, I tell you what, before I get into a, an Aspie love fest, which I have no problem doing because I love the guy, but um, I mean, I'm really delighted. I said on Friday on our, on our preview show that I hoped that they had done their homework on Palmeiras because I remember when we played Corinthians in 2012, Chelsea were, were seemingly... Very naive, actually. They were they were somewhat shocked, surprised, uh, disrupted by the very kind of South American tactics. You know, very physical, very aggressive, rolling around whenever they got touched. You know, all the dark arts and all that kind of stuff. And it did kind of throw us a bit. And it was really good to see that that we didn't get thrown by any of it. Uh, you know, in the match yesterday, and and they were. You know, Palmeiras are diving all over the place the minute they got touched. There was a lot of shithousery going on. Uh, no more so than at the penalty, as you said, when they, uh, I mean, I, I, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, that tells me that they've done their homework as well. And, and that, uh, you know, that's great leadership, really, I think, by Asby to do that uh, and to take all the flack from the, I mean, about, what, three, four, five of them crowding around him, trying to get into his head. Absolutely hilarious that he then gave the ball. I mean, that's, that shows you they didn't do their bloody homework, did they? You know, they, I mean, they should have known that it wouldn't have been Asby taking the penalty. So uh, I think that was hilarious, but really, really clever. And it clearly helped. Um, Asby, 
uh, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's, I think, I think it's about time he really, really started getting the kind of respect that he deserves uh, as a Chelsea, as a Chelsea captain, actually, not as a player necessarily, but as a Chelsea captain. And I do think that he's always struggled and always was going to struggle as the successor to JT. You know, JT was such a huge personality. I mean, he was Mr. Chelsea, wasn't he? Um, he was very much the club for a while when he was captain. So to follow that would have been very difficult. And I mean, in, in his, you know, in fairness to Aspie, he's always done it his way. He's a very different personality. He's an absolute gentleman. If you've ever met him, he's an absolute delight. He's very humble, very intelligent guy, very kind guy. You know, he, he's a much softer, gentler personality than, than JT. But, you know, leaders come in all sorts of different shapes and forms. And there's, you know, I mean, okay, I've criticized his leadership occasionally and got a bit excited about it. But actually, you know, there's nothing wrong with quiet leadership and leading by example as a decent, you know, kind of person as well. But apart from that, Aspie, he's a bloody fighter, mate. You know, he the thing about Aspie, he gives 110% every match he plays. Now, you know, as I said earlier on, I was sporting Chelsea when they weren't very good. And we had some rubbish players and all we really demanded from them was that they gave a hundred percent. And some of them did, some of them didn't as always, but you know, that's what you want. So you can't, you can't criticize Aspie for that. He gives 110% every game that's leading by example. Um, And I think he's, I think he's been brilliant. He's, he's perfect for the club as well in what they want. You know, I mean, JT quite often came you know, he did some naughty things, embarrassed the club publicly. They really don't like that. Um, you know, they're very, very mindful of their PR because they see themselves as a global brand, which they are, whether we like it or not. Um, so Aspie's perfect for that because he's quite a good ambassador for the club. He doesn't put a foot wrong. He never says any stu- stupid things. He doesn't do naughty things. Doesn't go out getting pit, you know, all these things. So he's perfect for them at the moment. Uh, and I, and I, I feel that it won't be for long, you know, because I think, I mean, the big, the big thing now is whether he will go or stay beyond uh, his contract, which is, ending this summer. Um, I think that's a really tough one, isn't it, Nick? Because, I mean, I, I get the feeling when, when Reese James is fit, you know, how long does Aspie have as a, as a first team player, you know, given that he tends to be playing now uh, as a right wing back. Of course, if Christensen goes, who seems to be slotting into the right centre back position, then maybe there's a, a place for him there. But, you know, in all, in all honesty, he's only got probably a year at most. I think his legs are already going. I mean, we're, we're susceptible to pace when he's playing as well. So I don't know how much longer he has as a player, but I kind of get the feeling I'd like him around anyway, because I think he's a really good influence in the camp. And, you know, yesterday was a really good case in point. He was the only player on the pitch for us who had been there when we lost it in 2012. And I thought that that was important. We'd had somebody who could remember how awful that was. You know, so I think, yeah, he needs some absolutely massive respect. I think he, I think, I think winning that yesterday should cement his place as a Chelsea legend, actually. Maybe not as a player, perhaps, but for everything that he's done for the club. Uh, and I kind of hope he does stick around, even if it's just to be a bit more behind the scenes and, and being the, maybe the, the captain of the club, but maybe not on the pitch, because I do, I do see his future as a player diminishing. Yeah, obviously. <clears throat> This is a, he, he, he completed the set yesterday. And I said, I think on the podcast last we won the Champions League in May with Daniel Charles. I said, for me, that's now like, he was already a legend, but that probably put him up with, you know, maybe, you know, around the JT Lampard, those kind of levels for me, purely just because of what he's won. Chidge, 
do you where do you sort of I know it's ranking it, it you know subjective etc where do you kind of place Azpilicueta amongst like the greats because it's probably quite a tough one because with Aspi for you know when we talk about the likes of Frank, JT, Didier, Peda, they're almost like the main characters, if you will. They were like the main guns. And, and for a lot of Cesar Aspilicueta, Chelsea career, he has perhaps been like one of the supporting cast, if you will. He's been, you know, Mr. Solid, reliable in the background, but he's never been like the star man. He's had, you know, when we've won Premier Tiles, it's been Hazard or Costa or, or even like Kante, who's, who's taken the, the credit. You know, when we won the Champions League, it, again, he's sort of a bad, but he's not actually the main guy. But for you, where does where do you kind of place Aspilicueta on your sort of, your pantheon of Chelsea legends, if you will? I mean, that's a, that's a really good question, Nick, and it's very hard to answer because it's it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, you know, JT, Drogba, Petr Cech, Ashley Cole, Frank Lampard, they were all, I mean, they were the best players in the team as well, you know, in each, in each of their positions. They were far and away the best. You know, JT was one of the best, if not the best defender in the country. Lampard was one of the best midfielders in the world. Petr Cech was one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Didier Drogba was one of the best strikers in the world. So they were all individually, you know, the best. You know, and that kind of helps, doesn't it, in terms of legendary status. And then you got then you look at their impact. They all have massive impacts on winning major trophies. Again, really important to cement you as a legend. And you can't say that about Aspie. You just can't. You know, he he, he doesn't he he doesn't often win man of the match really. You know, he doesn't score crucial goals. He maybe d- defensively will, you know, do a few crucial saves. But but as a player, you can't say he's the best, can you, in the team? Um, but as I said, I think that's the thing about that. Is, it's, I think that's so wrapped up with his personality as well, in a way. He, he does it behind the scenes. He's understated. But I, I do think he's... In, I mean, I don't know for a fact, because I'm not in the dressing room. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in there. But my hunch is, is that actually... He is far more influential and far more important in that dressing room than than we can ever really know. And I think perhaps what you also have to factor in is that, you know, a club the size of Chelsea with the kind of players that we attract is going to be a club with a massive amount of egos in that dressing room. And, you know, managing egos is one of the hardest jobs in the world, what, what, whatever field you happen to be in. And quite often, I mean, there's only two ways to go, really, with that. And that is, well, three, actually. One is that you just happen to have the, a bigger ego than everybody else, as the captain is the leader, and you, you, you become the alpha male in that situation, and they don't like it, but they follow you anyway. Or you try and fight it, but you're just, you don't have the personality to, and they'll just rinse you. Or maybe you do it like Aspie does, and he doesn't have their kind of an ego. He's much more understated. And maybe maybe that works. Maybe that works to make a, a, a club with a lot of different characters and massive egos all work cohesively. And I think that's something that we don't see. And maybe that's what his real that's what his real legendary uh, skill has been. Perhaps in, in a very fractious time for Chelsea, he's been the one thing you can rely on, the one solid thing in the whole mix over the last ten years. And you got to love him for that. Yeah, but I guess, you know, you talk about sort of the one constant, you know, that sort of fresh time. I think just as P's versatility then comes into play, the fact we've seen him as a left back, a right back, a right sided centre back, you know, a right wing back. And then even when Jose played him as a right winger in a Champions League semi final, whatever it goes to Fletcher Madrid several years back, it just kind of is a testament to the man that, you know, Chelsea and a lot of players, in particular Chelsea over issues, have almost been a victim to managerial change. Players who, who were, you know, once reliable and once needed were no longer needed for a change of system. But Azpilicueta has been that one constant, the one, you know, in his whole time at Chelsea. And I think that is 
certainly something that, you know, deserves respect. And yeah, with Aspilicueta, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, you know, there's still talks that he might be off at the end of the season. And I guess, Chidge, you know, you kind of said, you know, we want him, you'd like him to stay around for, a, you know, another year or so. But at the same time, there's a potential that Aspilicueta could really go out on a high. And, you know, you don't always get to choose how you go out in sport, you know, on your terms. You know, Frank kind of went out the back door. JT, thankfully, did end on a, end on a high. Uh, but it's not always easy to, you know, pick your terms. So in a way, for Aspi, while you, you know, you know, love him to stay for another year, perhaps, would you also maybe kind of think, you know, well, we've got a Carabao Cup final in a, in a few weeks as well. You know, we're still in the FA Cup. There's a potential that Aspilicueta could just end this, you know, go out on a real, real high in his time at Chelsea and, you know, or, yeah. I think, I think the reality, Nick, is I think it will, it, will, it will depend entirely, I think. I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, I, I, I could see how that might work. You might think, well, you know what? there's no better way to go out than this. You know, I've won it all. Nobody else has. That's the way to go out. He may think that. Uh, but I, I, I kind of think the other important factor is, is how much he still wants to play at the top level. You know, if he, if he genuinely believes that he can command a first-team place for another year or two, then I think he'll stay and fight it out. If he, if he looks at himself in the mirror and says, Do you know what, I don't think that's going to happen, uh, then, then maybe he'll move. And I mean, I think the 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 mark of it is that uh, I mean, okay, I know that maybe there's a kind of a, a slightly odd slant on this because I mean, Barcelona seemed to be the you know the the most obvious destination for him. Now I know that that's partly because they don't have any money, so they can't afford to buy anybody really. So they're getting their players on loans or or, or contract ending like like this would be. But I mean, you know, in a sense. For Aspilicueta to move from Chelsea to go to Barcelona as his retirement club, I think, you know, going back to what I was saying about where our respect should be as a club, where we stand in the world as a club now, that for me says it all, you know. I mean, 10 years ago, I'd have been laughed for saying that, laughed at for saying that. So, you know, maybe he'll do that. I don't know. I mean, only he will know what he's going to do. But uh, I I would certainly have him around, even if he's not going to play much, because I just think his influence is on the squad and on the club is much greater than we all realise. Yeah, no, exactly. We'll have to wait and see what, what happens with Aspi. But whatever happens, if he does go against season, you know, you'd like to think we would get, you know, advanced warning enough so we can really, truly celebrate, you know, the Chelsea career of Cesar Aspilicueta and give him the send-off he deserves. Um, Chid, you know, you can't talk about, you know, Chelsea, you know, managing egos. The person who has to manage all these egos, Mr Thomas Tuchel, that's his third trophy, you know, and he's basically, you know, he's, done this clean sweep in terms of Europe and I guess, you know, the world now, you know, he's won the Champions League, won the Super Cup, he's won the Club World Cup, the only Chelsea manager to have won all three. Um, he's also, you know, reached every single domestic cup final he's been in, you know, obviously the FA Cup final we lost last year and we've got a Carabao Cup final coming out at the end of the month. Um, Chidge, you know, I kind of was left, you know, heartbroken when Frank got sacked. I kind of was like, I'm not going to fall in love with another Chelsea manager again. <laughs> you know, I've been through this before. It's, it's too painful. But it's kind of hard, really, not to love Thomas Tuchel. You're just kind of thoughts on on the brilliance of the man, you know, that, you know, he's working with... We also remember that he's only sort of really made one real sign to the team. Okay, he's got Sal on loan, but Lukaku's been sort of the only signing, the sort of, you know, permanent sign that's been made in during his tenure in charge. He's been working with a lot of players from, you know, previous regimes. Just, you know, how much praise and credit should we give Thomas Tuchel for, you know, for getting a real tune out of this, this Chelsea side? A Chelsea side, but, you know, we know is very misfiring at points, particularly in, in the attack. It feels like, you know, pretty much nearly every week we're talking about, oh, we miss this chance, we miss this chance, we don't create enough, we don't do this enough. But how much credit does Thomas Tuchel deserve for the fact that he's won three trophies with this Chelsea side? Well, I mean, huge amounts. I mean, he's quite something else. I mean, he, I, I, think, I think what we've got our hands on here is a genuinely uh, elite 
coach. I mean, you know, a coach who should be absolutely in the same conversation as Pep Guardiola, Klopp, uh, certainly, you know, maybe one or two others. Uh, he's up there as one of the best coaches in the world. Um, and I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, Klopp, whether you like him or not, um, I don't really like him as a personality. There are some elements of his personality I really don't like, but he's a very good manager. There's no doubt about that. Um, but he's so he suits Liverpool perfectly, don't they? They're a marriage made in heaven, aren't they? Well, I do actually think that we've got the same with Tuchel. I mean, I think what, what what's, again, very understated, and okay, I know it's only early days yet, given that the average tenure of a Chelsea coach is 18 months, and he's not even been here, well, he's been here just over a year now, hasn't he? Um, but I think what, what is perhaps understated is his relationship with the board, which, which, you know, seems to be, it seems to work very, very well. You know, um, maybe what we finally found is a coach who can work with Chelsea as a, you know, in terms of a plan that, that we can have a coach you can buy into what the board want and what the board, the board demand. Uh, which suits their business interests as well as the football interests without rocking the boat, uh, without, uh, you know, because I, I always get the feeling that a lot of managers have come here are very mercenary-like, as you can understand. They get paid a lot of money, they get to manage in the Premier League, and they get to have a crack at winning trophies, which makes their CV look good. So I've always felt that they're they're using us in a way to make themselves look good. And I think you can say that about a lot of them. But I don't get that impression with Tuchel. At all, I, I think I think he buys into the philosophy of the club, and I mean you can say the same about Frank, obviously. Um, but Frank is not half the manager that Tuchel is, and I don't like to say that, but it's absolutely true. He may be in ten years' time, who knows? But right right now he isn't. So maybe we've got our own little marriage made in heaven here with Tuchel in the way that he you know can work with the board and the club and 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 buy into their philosophy and how they want things run. Uh, I mean, Christ, we just got to keep hold of him, Nick. I mean, I think, I think if we, I mean, you know, look at Klopp. He's been at Liverpool for what six, seven years now. Same with Guardiola at City. And I think, you know, Klopp has clearly built something at Liverpool. I mean, I would love, I would love to see Tuchel given, you know, a really good length of time to build something at this club, because you know, with the amount of, uh, I mean, I, I've said Joe Tweeds and I have often talked about this a lot. Certainly when he used to be on the podcast before he defected i'm only joking uh but uh you know we always said that you need a balance at chelsea of you know world you know key positions filled by world-class players that you have to spend money on but the rest you should be getting from our incredibly talented youth uh, sides and if you can get that blend right you've got a really clever self-sustaining money uh, model where you're not having to spunk money away on idiots like danny drinkwater you know and maybe that's where we are right now. I think we've got that opportunity to do that. And I think Tuchel is a manager who could certainly do that and be very happy to do that. Um, he's already proven that, you know, if you're good enough, you'll play. Trevo Chaloba is the, the example of that. Uh, and he's stuck with, uh, you know, hudson Adoy and Mount and, and Reese James, obviously. So we know he'll play youngsters if he thinks they're good enough. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would love to see, I would love to see him stay for the long, the long haul, because I think if if he does, then we're really, you know, we could be really onto something that we've never really seen before at the club in in that respect. Um, but what has he got left to do? I, th- I think, I think what will determine his future at Chelsea will not will not just be the trophies, although that clearly helps. He's he's got to figure out how how to make us a potent attacking side. 
I mean, that, you know, if you look at Liverpool, City and us, all of which are kind of on a par, we're out on our own really in the league, aren't we? Uh, th- those three teams. But the difference, the, the real difference between Chelsea, City and Liverpool is that Liverpool and City have very effective attacking players or, or attacking football. We don't. And that's what he has to know. He's got to work out how to create a system uh, that will allow us to be more creative and score more goals and really, really put teams away. I mean, I, arguably, he has the players for some of that, but not all of it. And I, I do think that the real reason that, you know, we, we're not an, an effective attacking unit is, is, is actually down to our midfield as much as it is to our strikers. You know, and I, I think he plays with wing backs really because that's the best chance we have of creating things and attacking well, but it's also to cover up any weaknesses that Jorginho might have. So I, I wonder if, if the key to it is, is going to be a change in the midfield. Um, I mean, a lot, I, I've grown to really like Jorginho. I was very on his case for a long time. Couldn't see the point, but I, I do think, I think, I think like Tuchel says, if you can create a system that protects him from his weaknesses, he can be really effective. And I've seen that. Uh, Kante, how could you possibly talk about replacing Kante? But the reality is that both of those players are, are either approaching or are over 30. So we're not going to have much longer with them. I think Kovacic is an excellent midfielder. But I mean, if you, you know, in the future going forward, I mean, I know everybody says Declan Rice, but, uh, you know, Rice for sure, you know, as a defensive midfielder. But I still think Mount, I think Mount's more naturally a midfield player than an attacking player. Um, I think if Conor Gallagher Gallagher came in, an old-fashioned number eight like Frank Lampard was, but I think the the real, the the one piece we don't have in the jigsaw puzzle at Chelsea is an out-and-out creative player, creative midfielder, uh, you know, like a Fabregas, somebody like that, who can unlock a defence with a pass or play a player in with a, a, you know, a, a pass, you know, thread through a needle. You know, that's what we're missing. And I think if he can find the solution or you can get the kind of players to do that, then I think we're going to be cooking with gas. I really do. Yeah, but you can't just, you know, picking up on that last one about that Korean midfielder. You know, in recent weeks, against, you know, we have actually seen, seen playing a four-back, but we've all seen, you know, Ziyech have a sort of extended run on the side, which is also perhaps coincided with Ziyech kind of, you know, hitting some pretty good form. In um, you, We talk about, you know, creative players, and I always say with Ziyech, like, he's probably, like, as much as frustrating as he is, we probably do not have another player like him just for his range of passing for what he's able to do. Is Ziyech potentially, you know, an option to, you know, there? obviously he didn't start yesterday, which actually surprised quite a lot of people given how, yeah. you know, the recent form we've been in, he actually played pretty well in the semi-final against Al-Hilal. Is Ziyech an option there for you or is it are you kind of looking maybe somewhere else, someone younger, more hopefully, you know, just for the future? Because again, Ziyech, 28, he's been fairly inconsistent in his Chelsea career. Well, I don't know is the answer to that. Um, he has been good in the last few weeks. Um, but has he been good enough? I think is the question. I, I don't know is the honest answer. Um, because the thing is, what, what, you know, what, what we're talking about here is consistency. You know, you, you need players. If you're going to win titles, then you need, you need strikers who can score 20 goals a season, uh, or, or players that can score 20 goals a season. If you want to win the title, you need you need midfielders who can score ten to fifteen goals a season. So that's that's about consistency. If you you know want to win titles, you want uh, a creative player who can score and assist again in in double figures. You know that's what you need. Uh, and I don't think we have we don't have any of those at the moment. We don't have any midfielders who score goals consistently, apart from Jorginho with his bloody penalties. 
We don't have any strikers that look like they could score anywhere near 20 goals a season. And we don't have one player who can score and assist in those kind of numbers too. I mean, the closest we've got to that, the latter, is Mason Mount. But I think, I mean, Mount, Mount is, I, I still haven't quite worked out what kind of a player Mount is apart from bloody brilliant. But, you know, he's not, he's not the kind of, you know, it, it's like an old style kind of number 10. It's a creative player. It's a Zola-like player, you know, a Fabregas-like player, you know, a real a playmaker, you know who can make the whole thing work, but from an attacking point of view. So if you like, a Jorginho from an attacking perspective, because I think Jorginho makes us tick in our own half. But what we need is somebody who can do that in the final third, and we don't have that. And I think until we do, uh, then we're going to find it hard to win the league, I have to say. Yeah, fair enough. I think we have got a question on that, so we'll kind of maybe move that. For later. Uh, yeah, I guess final interesting, you know, fun stat. Since joining Chelsea, Edouard Mendy has won a trophy every 21 games on average. Not bad for him. Uh, he's, he's had, he didn't have a bad week. You know, he's, he's not had a bad year or so at Chelsea. He's become a champion of Europe, champion of Africa and champion of the world. So all credit. Going to move on to listener questions because this also gives chance to heap a bit of praise onto someone, uh, you know, who we, we all have got a lot to be thankful for. And Chidge, that first question comes in from good friend of ours, Redders, Redders ah, CFC. My, uh, my friends, both of you are awesome. My question, will this result tonight potentially offer closure to Roman as watching the team in week, at, week in, week out live becomes increasingly harder? I don't see it. I did just message Redders just to get clarification. I think he kind of basically saying, Roman, Chidge, Roman has seen us win it all. Um He's not there, sort of. He's not able to see us as often, perhaps, as he would like. Is there a potential, you know, that, you know, Roman kind of will lose some interest in Chelsea now, but we have won it all? Uh, Redder's reply was, I don't see it. So he doesn't think that will happen. Uh, your thoughts on that, but also, I guess, a chance to, to give praise to, to Roman and Brambridge, because as you saw, you, the very, I started off the podcast with, you know, you never in your wildest dreams when you were younger thought we, we would win it all. And Roman and Brambridge is, you know, a large part of, of why we've now won it all. So, your, I guess your, you know, response to Reza's question, and then just kind of your general feelings to to Mr. Abramovich. Yeah, I think it's it's a very it's a good question, Reza's, and it, it's worth asking that question. I think as well, you know, uh, because in a sense, he's he's you know, you can see that he's kind of set out, you know, that he's achieved what he set out to achieve, hasn't he? In a way, um, I think he wanted to win this as much as a lot of us did, actually. Uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't. Th- no, I don't. I don't think it's a case of well, I've I've done what I want to achieve, so now I'll just quit. I don't. I don't see it like that at all either. I, I think Roman loves running a football club. I mean, he's really, he's really. I mean, if, you know, I mean, not that we ever get to speak to him, but you know, from a lot of people that I know who have, um, they all say that he's really into his football. You know, he's a he's a real student of the game. So you know. Put it put it this way, Redders. You know, I mean, you're not in our league, and you bloody well should be. But we've got a a Premier League predictions league, a Chelsea Fancast League, which is just great fun. It's a bit like saying, well, you've won it three times in a row, so now you're not going to play anymore. Well, no, you just want to keep winning it, don't you? Because you like playing it. And I think that's that's probably where Roman is that he just likes doing this. And I can see him. I don't. I can't see him leaving or selling it. I mean, if he ran out of money, then he might, I suppose. But you know, why would he do that? So, uh, you know, I, I see him staying for a long time. And as you said, Nick, on, on the point of Roman, none of what we're, we've been talking about today would have happened without Roman Abramovich. And, um, I mean, what can you say apart from thank you? You know, I mean, if you look around uh, the owners of a lot of these football clubs, you wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire, right? 
But Roman Abramovich, you know, okay, I know we get st- – he makes a few duff decisions. He hired Rafa Benitez, silly boy. Uh, he got he, – he, he took his eye off the ball, I think, and let his directors stupidly join the European Super League. But I think – and, yeah, okay, you can talk about the Russian money and all of the rest of it. But I think if you just take away all that stuff and you look at him as a football club owner, we've got the best of the bunch by a country mile. We really, really, really have. You know, he he backs the club. He backs, you know, he back, backs the managers. He, he, he buys, you know, I mean, people are saying, oh, don't back, it, back the managers. But he does. You know, we needed a striker, so he spent 100 million quid on Lukaku. You know, and he's always doing that, and he always has done it. So I think we've got the best owner in the business, and I'm absolutely, I, I cannot, I mean, I, ha- I have actually, I have met Roman. I met him once at Cobham. Um, and, uh, and, uh, all I said to him was, thank you. I mean, what else could you say? And I said, I didn't just say thank you. I said, thank you, because you've given me more joy following this club that I ever thought uh, was imaginable, you know, 30 years ago. And you know what he said? He said, no, no, thank you. <laughs> I just said, no, no, mate, really, you know, because, I mean, it's true. He's, he's given me more joy in terms of seeing my club win trophies that I never believed I'd see us win. Uh, then you know it's just amazing. What can you say about the guy apart from thank you? It's that simple, really, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. Chelsea trophy since Roman Abramovich became Chelsea owner: five Premier Leagues, five FA Cups, three League Cups, two Community Shields, two Champions Leagues, two Europa Leagues, one UEFA Super Cup, one FIFA Club World Cup. Yeah, it's it's yeah yeah. I think Chidji kind of summed it up perfectly. Just thank you, Roman. Is I think you know whenever you see him in an interview, he's kind of a man of a few words. He's just very quite sort of understated. And if he doesn't say, so he doesn't really do give public interviews often. Um, but yeah, I think it is just a case of, of thank you. And as said to Redis, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of a common myth of like rival fans was, oh, Roman's going to get bored. Well, he's been going 20 years or so and he, he's still not bored of, 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 you know, giving his all to Chelsea. So yeah, long may, long may that uh, continue. Uh, next question comes in from RJ, good friend of ours. Uh, hello, fellow world champions. Question for you, gents. How much confidence does this win give you for our next set of fixtures? Because Chidge, you know, we kind of, Again, sort of linking back, it's, I guess, quite nice, you know, linking it back to, I guess, we're all started with Roman, that, that League Cup winning Cardiff, you know, it gave Chelsea the, the confidence momentum to go on, finish the job and win their first league title in 50 years. Obviously, we're not going to, we, we probably aren't going to win the league this year. But just how much confidence does this give you? And, and you know, that we can actually, you know, go on now and, and end the season, you know, on a high. Because as I said, Chelsea have been struggling, you know, the last month or two. It's it's not been injury, easy. Injuries, COVID, et cetera, players, you know, lacking form. But how much just of like a, you know, a shot in the arm is this just for us going forward? Because we, you know, we saw obviously, you know, the impact of winning the Champions League last year. I think the, the Super Cup winning that at the start of the season, you know, helped us, you know, create, carry on that bit of momentum. So just how much confidence does this give you, you know, you know, uh, for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Hello, RJ. I hope you're well, mate. RJ and I have quite a lot of chats uh, on Twitter, kind of, you know, direct messaging. He's a, he's a top lad. And I love, I love what he does uh, out uh, in Australia. Anyway, yeah, it's a really good question that, isn't it? Um, I mean, obviously, I think it'll go one of two ways. Either they'll just get higher on their own supply and, and, and you know, we might find them going on the beach. But I, I can't see Tuchel allowing that to happen. So I, I hope, like RJ does, I think, that it might give us a real lift when we needed it, actually, because things have been really tough for the last few months. You know, I think the, you know, the injuries and the COVID and the amount of games has really taken out of them mentally as well as physically. And, you know, they needed, a, I think they needed a bit of, something good to happen in a sense to make them feel good you know and 
that that has undoubtedly made them feel good. They can wander around saying we're world champions. So hopefully it will give them a real shot in the arm to really go for it. Hopefully Tuchel can use it that way. But let's not kid ourselves here. You know, a lot of the same problems perhaps still exist. The reason why I think we've been playing so poorly recently is is not just down to the injuries and COVID and the exhaustion. It's fundamentally because our our two best players from an attacking perspective have been out, and that's Chilwell and James. And as I said, I think they those two players are so fundamental to the way that Tuchel had us playing for all of the reasons I said earlier that it completely screwed us up. And actually, I think what it revealed was we don't we don't either have the depth of squad to cope, you know, because you can you can put Aspilicueta and Alonso is in as left and right wing backs but they're just not as good as James and Chilwell. So the whole thing doesn't work as well. Um, and the other thing is we don't, the other plan B, we, he hasn't really been able to sort out how to defend effectively and how to attack effectively in a different sort of system with different players. So, you know, those, those issues will still remain. I think actually talking of that, the biggest lift that we might have in the next few weeks is not necessarily uh, winning the World uh, Club Cup. Uh, it might be Reese James coming back. Because at least that'll offer us something on the right. Um, it doesn't sort the problem out on the left, it has to be said, but it might help with the right. Because James was on fire for us before, wasn't he? I mean, he was one of our top scorers and assisters. Um, of course, you know, he's got to come back and, and, and hopefully come back seamlessly, and there's no guarantee that he will. But look, cutting along Shorey Stort, Nick uh, and RJ, I, I, I can't see it not having a positive effect. I mean, you know... Winning trophies, you know, success breeds success, you know, and hopefully they'll feel really good about themselves and they can go out with some confidence and, and some belief and start smashing teams a bit. That's what we want. Yeah, no, exactly, RJ. I just like us to, you know, know everyone is. I would like us not to be involved in a, in, in another top four scrap, you know, for the end of the season, like it's all been returned for the last four or five years. And thankfully, on paper anyway, we have some relatively decent fixtures coming up. And I guess actually, you know, this is you know not really been talked about. Chelsea have actually done quite well. Not you know, we've gone away for Dubai. You know, some of the players have had a holiday and said Kennedy's come back from home, he's gone on holiday and become a world champion. But while this has all been going on, our rivals have been playing in the Premier League. Manchester United have now caught up with games now, and they've only managed two draws. Spurs lost at home to Southampton. So while this has all been going on, our actual league form and our league has actually become probably more healthy than it even was before before we went away for this. So it's it's not been a bad week or so, has it? No, it's quite look at like a lot, a lot of my mates in the Chelsea Fancast Prem Predictions League who forget to do their fixtures uh, one week quite often do better than if they had actually made some predictions. So I totally get your point. Yeah, no, lovely stuff, love stuff. Uh, next question comes in from a familiar face, Dane Whittle. Uh, who? That, that <laughs> I'm Dane, joking, that I'm Dane fellow, that Dane fellow <laughs> who does went to Mokings Meadow with Dean and occasionally comes on the fact. Oh, he also run he also runs our, our Instagram account. He does, he does. Yeah. Dane is very kind with. He's a lovely lad. On Brilliant he is lad. A very. Uh, his first point: seeing as we both started game, seeing as we start both games of Club World Cup with a three at the back, but in this game made subs change to a four back. What formation do you guys think we'll mainly see from now till the end of the season? Because Chid, this again been you know a talk point. The three of that doesn't seem that effective without Reese and Chile as win we, we, you know, we banged on about we know how important they are to the system. We know that Aspi and Alonso, while decent players of their own right, the system doesn't work the same way because they're just not the same players. They don't offer you as much. And we have had a lot of success with a four-back, particularly against Spurs. Well, I think we played a four-back pretty much every single game against them. We beat them very comfortably in January and we didn't concede a goal. Uh, what would you say, you know, what formation do you think we'll mainly see from now to the end of the season? Three, four-back, or is it literally just going to be just depending on what Tuchel depends thinks best for the opposition? Uh, yeah, I think there'll be a bit of that. I mean, 
you know, I, I, I thought that we might have played a four yesterday because I, 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 knew, I knew that Palmeiras were really, really good defensively. But of course, the other side of that coin is that um, I also knew that they were a really good counter-attacking side. And, and of course, Tuchel brought in three at the back really to, uh, you know, negate any counter-attacking threats because we were getting caught out a lot, if you remember, under Frank. So I wasn't surprised to see him start with a three. But yeah, I do. I think it depends on the side that we're playing and uh, also who's available, really, you know, because um, I, do, I, don't th- I do think we've got too many kind of system players. And some players can play in some systems, others can, you know, can't play in others, you know, so it's a bit, a bit difficult. But I mean, I think, you know, ultimately, I would like to see us play 4-3-3. I think that's, that's ultimately where I'd like to see us head. You know, because I think if you play if you play four at the back with two, um, you know, the fullbacks pushing up like they do at Liverpool, then I think you need three in midfield. You know, so you don't get one of them caught out. Uh, so they've got a bit of cover in midfield. But uh, and I just think it's more flexible, and I just think it's more attacking. But maybe Tuchel doesn't think he's got the right players for that. And uh, you know, it's 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 complicated, really, isn't it? It it really is, but I mean, I mean, talking about yesterday, I was quite confused actually because I I actually thought that um, um, that they went that 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 they stayed as a back. Oh, hang on, what did what did what did um, Dane say that we went to back three? I we, thought we we uh, in the game, seeing as we started both games club cup for three back, but in this game made subs to change to a four at the back. Uh, what formation do you guys think we'll see many from? I'm trying to think. He bought on. Yeah, I- no, well, I, I t- tell you how I remember it, but I mean, this is the trouble when you see it on TV. It's it, it's never quite the same. But you know, when he when he brought Saul, Saul and Werner on for Lukaku and Hudson Odoi, I thought that what he did was he went with three in the midfield. But he actually went he actually went. I thought originally he went four three three, but I don't think he did because he brought Pulisic back to left wing back. So I actually think what he did do was he went three five two, right with Werner and Havertz up yeah. front effectively. Um, because I think he wanted to bolster the midfield because, you know, at that time, um, you know, after they scored, Palmeiras were beginning to get a grip in the game for that kind of last 10 minutes or so. So I think, I think that's what he did. I think he went 3 5 2. Um, but as I said, it's not really hard. To, it's hard to see when you're watching on TV because you don't see the whole, whole pitch and the whole, the whole, you know, formation, as it were. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I said I was. You know, talking about that, I was kind of baffled with with the sub. I thought, like, you know, partly also part of me was thinking. Obviously, I wasn't aware of time. I think we did get you when he goes extra time, we get an extra sub. But part of me was thinking, why are we waste? Why are we using a sub up here when if it goes to penalties, we need to sub Kepron? So that was that was my main concern at one point yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking we, we need to sub, make sure we have an extra sub. But I think well, we, we, we wouldn't have been able to, would we? If, if I, I think, after that, I'm not sure. I think again, I could be wrong because I think it. If it's the same rule as most competitions, you get an extra sub and extra time. So we right, had okay, six, so we might enough. have had one. Fair enough. But I was confused by bringing Saul on for Callum. I have to admit, a left wing back. I mean, I didn't think Callum was amazing. You know, I didn't think he was great yesterday, but I was a bit surprised to see Saul come on. I said, my main shock was that Ziyech didn't come on to extra time and that Jorginho wasn't bought on at all. I thought oh. I thought if Jorginho might have been bought on instead of Saul, we might go an extra body. But I wasn't entirely sure. And again, Timo Ferrom, I didn't really get because I think at the time it was 1 1. So it wasn't like we were 1 0 up, it was 1 1. And I was thinking, yeah, I'm not quite sure where we're going with this, but um... well, I I think I do get that actually, oddly, because um, as I said, I th- I think he brought Saul on to to basically make it three in the midfield plus the wing back, so Pulisic and Aspi either side. That made a lot of sense because you know Palmeiras are look you know looking far more offensive and and cutting through us a bit. So I I do think we needed to bolster that and try and regain some control or you know yeah regain some control. 
And that meant that we would be more defensive, which means that we were maybe looking to break on Palmeiras. And of course, you know, Werner's got speed. So I, I, that did make a lot of sense to me. But you're absolutely right. It's like the white elephant in the room, isn't it? Where, you know, where was Jorginho yesterday? I mean, I was surprised that he didn't start, to be honest. Um, and like you, I was surprised that he didn't come on to try and control the game when we were we were ahead. But uh, I, want, I wondered if he might have picked up a knock or something. Yeah, because he did obviously get subbed off at halftime in, in the first game, which again, you know, I think took turn the tide a bit in that game. We did struggle a bit more in, in that second half without him on the pitch that game. So it, it was certainly an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I think Dane's general point, though, is, you know, still still pretty relevant one. But in recent weeks, we have seen a free and before back. And, you know, it seems before back might be a more interesting option going forward. His second point is the much loved Dane got the 2 1 prediction right on Friday night. So, so well done. He to, did indeed. Well, well done, done Dane. Uh, next question comes in from another familiar face, Dean Miz. <laughs> <laughs> Question one, why do we always seem to drop to the level of our opponents and never outclass them? Because, Chidge, I mean, you know, we made very hard work of this Club World Cup. But what I will say in, in reference to Dean is that all-conquering Liverpool side of 1920 also made very hard work of winning that Club World Cup. I think they both fair. I think they won their semi-final very late and their final went to extra time with Firmino winning it pretty late on for them as well. So for whatever we think of, you know, Chelsea should be better than these opposition. The European teams tend to not really have it very easy when they go for the Club World Cup. They do tend to come out on top, but it's never actually as easy or comfortable as perhaps we think it should be. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think a lot, there are a few factors in, in that. I mean, we're not in particularly good form, number one, um, and that's carried through a little bit, I think. Number two, you know, they, they, you've got to factor in the travelling time, uh, the level of fatigue that we've had recently anyway. Uh, it's you know acclimatizing in that space of time, and it's 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 not massively hot, but it's much hotter than it is here. So that'll be a bit draining as well. So I think you've got to factor that in. And then you're also, I mean, how many times have you seen a brilliant semi-final and a brilliant final? Uh, answer very rarely. I mean, I was thinking about this, funnily enough, on the bog this morning, Nick. I was thinking, good God, that's the first time Chelsea have scored two goals in a in a final in a European final or, or that kind of a competition for as long as I can remember. I think maybe somebody will correct me here because I'm not the world's greatest stat man, as you all know, but I think we, we scored two, didn't we? We beat Real Madrid 2-1 in the uh, Cup Winners' Cup replay. Uh, but I can't remember the last time we scored two in a European final. It was 1-0. The uh, Arsenal 4-1 well, in Baku. Well, Baku, there you go. Yeah. That's the only and one. And then I but, think before that, yeah, I get your point. I think before well, Stuttgart, that, we've Stuttgart at, was, uh, was 1-0 in 98. Ben, yeah. Benfica under Benitez was 2-1, one, wasn't it? Was two it? One. Okay. Oh, yeah, Tor- yeah, yeah. Torres scored, then they equalised, then Ivanovic. Branner scored in the last yeah. minute, that's right, yeah. So, I mean, the bottom line is we our, our, our most favoured uh, scoreline uh, or, or score in, in a final is usually one goal, isn't it? So, you know... I don't know. I mean, the bottom line is finals and semifinals tend to be horribly nervy, very scrappy, you know, quite a stalematey type game, you know, which is, and it's just the odd, the odd bit of skill or a bit of luck gets you over the line. And I think that's what happened. I mean, I don't, to be honest, Dino, I don't give a shit about performances in finals and semifinals because it's the, it's the one kind of, or the, the only games where you really care about the result more than anything else. Cause all you care about is winning. I don't care how it happens as long as we win it. And that's what happened. Yeah, no, as I didn't say, I think you also have to give credit to Palmeiras. They were very well set up. You know, they were, yeah. they made, they did make it very tough for us. Uh, his second question: Now we've won it all. Which sport will you be following? Um, well, well, Dean, I'm as a as and Chid will probably be same same. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, 
as a long-suffering or recently long-suffering England England cricket fan, I'm going to watch us in the West Indies without Stuart without Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. So I'm going to I'm going to enjoy watching that happen. Obviously, we won't. This is a Chelsea podcast, so we will not go on to too much of a cricket. But Chidge, what, what sports will you be following? Now that don't, get, don't don't get me to talk about cricket, Nick. You'll never get rid of me. Um, and I'm very pissed off about Anderson and Broad not playing. But um, I'm going to be carrying on watching Chelsea, Dino, because that's what we all do. And I just want to go and see us win it win it all again again. All right. Fair enough, fair enough. Very, very good answer there. Uh, next question, Tom Coley. Chelsea are a very good cup team. That much is obvious, and it's not a bad thing. But what changes have to be made to bring more league success? Not necessarily winning it, but challenging deeper into a season at least. Because, Chijana, we kind of maybe yeah. touched a bit on this earlier. But it is a common theme with Chelsea that we are very much a cup team. In, a look, in one-off matches, you, you do back us. But it's been a common, pa- common pattern since we won the league under Conte. Well, we also only played, I think, once a week that season. But we, we, our league titles challenges, they never really go far. I think this is probably this season under Tuchel was probably the close, the best we've done in a long time. We, we, you know, we actually, a lot of us, me particularly included, Tuchel had me believing that we could genuinely, you know, go all the way this year. Uh, what, what needs to change, I guess, because we look at Manchester City and while they, they don't have a European Cup and we know they'd love to have a European Cup, they are smashing it domestically. They're, you know, as I think I saw a bit of a bit of Craig Burley tweet yesterday about you know playing down the points for Club World Cup, but Manchester City were moving I think sixteen points clear of us in the league or whatever. Um, you know they'll be winning probably their their fifth league title with Pep or something like that. Uh, what do we need to do to be you know to get to get to be more competitive in the title race? Well, Burley is a bitter twat. Obviously, um, I, I'll never forget his back pass that uh, meant that we got beaten by Man United and the. Cup semi-final, so uh, less said about him, the better. But I mean, I said it all before, really, didn't I? I mean, you can you can nail it into under one word: consistency. You know, and that to have that level of I th- I, the other thing is, I do I do think that anybody, and I mean, I, I was guilty of this too. I thought that we'd be real contenders for the title this year because it was all on the euphoria of us winning the Champions League, of course, which immediately thought that oh, well, we're the best team in Europe, so surely we were going to win the Premier League. But the reality is, we should have always realised that because of the number of competitions we were likely to be playing in this season and the number of matches that, that uh, it was going to be a very tall order. And then factor in the fact that we've been unusually for us, really unlucky with injuries this year. And I think that, that makes a difference. I mean, when Liverpool lost Van Dyke and Alison Becker, their form suffered as well. So they didn't win the title because of that. So, you know, you need a bit of luck not having injuries. We haven't this year, but over and above that, I still think we're not competing. And the, the way to compete is, as I said, I think we, you know, we need to. We need. I need. We need to sort the midfield out. We. I mean, we just. Don't, I don't think we have enough uh, creative midfielders, goal-scoring midfielders, uh, to really challenge for the title as well as the consistency. And I don't think we really. I think we deluded ourselves a little bit too by, you know, how deep and qualitatively how deep everybody thought our squad was. And I think perhaps what's been revealed is what we probably already already secretly knew, but our squad depth isn't quite as great as we thought it was, you know, because losing Chilwell and James, we don't have two players really who are anywhere near as good as that, and it shows. So I'd I'd say we need a bit of squad strengthening just to make the the, the depth of the squad a little bit more better qualitatively. And as I said, I think a a real genuine goal-scoring, assist-making, creative midfielder you know, to kind of bring the, you know, attacking potential that we have to reality. And, you know, most of all, it's got to be consistency. You know, you've got to be on your game every game, you know, and I don't think we have been this season. 
Yeah, no, I can't really disagree with what you said there. And I said, feel like I do probably answer a similar-ish question like this fairly often on thought. But yeah, I said, I think for Chelsea also, and I said this, what you're seeing with City and Liverpool and their sort of dominance in the league is, you know, also a result of long-term planning and the fact that they have had a plan in place and a structure in place. And as much as we've, you know, praised Roman and absolutely deserves all our praise, time has never really been a thing, you know, offered to Chelsea managers. And maybe, as we've seen with what Tuchel's achieved, maybe this is the time for Roman to maybe, you know, change the model a bit and actually, you know, we'll give you your time and we'll see what you can do. Because obviously I know it's not quite the same and women's football, you know, perhaps it's not the same, but you look at Emma Hayes and that women's side, she's just been left to do it for about, what, nine, ten years, something like that. And you see the level she's got that Chelsea women's side too. I mean, obviously it's different, you know, the, the WSL. I mean, you know, I'm not... Go go listen to Winter Moking's Meadow for more on the excellent Chelsea women's side from, from Dean, Dane and Jane. But, you know, she's she's been given her time to really build a squad, but, you know, she, she'll build Chelsea up from not, not nothing, but she's got them to WSL, you know, serial winners almost gone to a Champions League final, et cetera. You know, she's been able to do that. And maybe if, if Thomas Tuchel was afforded, maybe some of it, you know, just a bit more. Yeah. If Thomas Tuchel was afforded the time that, you know, pop, pop, pep, that Pep and Klopp have been given, then maybe we could see Chelsea, you know, turn into a serial win team because, well, as I said, Tuchel, this is a team that he's inherited, not necessarily the one that he is that he has built. So I think, you know, Bez said that if we give Tuchel time, then hopefully he could get us challenging for a title. These next two questions are very similar, so I will include them together. First question comes in from Harry. At age 22 and already a huge part of our history, should Tuchel and Chelsea be making Kai Havertz more central to our plans as a club? Champions of the World, lads, that Champions of the World podcast. And Chime goes, Kai Havertz, a legend already, question mark. Because, Chid, you know, we, we did sort of briefly chat on Kai earlier, but again, it's, we everyone forgets he's 22 years old. He's 22 years old. He is, he's younger than me, which makes me feel old now. But I'm talking about players younger than me on the pod. Um, but how does it feel? You know, what, what your kind of opinions on Kai? Because as I said, as a, for a player who's, who who does always leave us wanting more, there's no denying that he has been a huge part of you know the success of this football club over the last last uh, two months. So because he said even you know Super Cup got the final for for Ziyech's goal in that final as well. So he's he's played a part in you know pretty much all our success, a, a crucial part as well. Well, I mean, as we said earlier, I mean, he's got a way to go before you can really call him a legend. Um, but uh, I do think he's, I, I, I think he's a huge talent. I mean, the, the, the club bought him on potential. You know, he was one of the most sought after players in Europe. And, uh, and we got, got in there and nabbed him, which is kind of the thing that we do when we're working well. Um, I think... I think it's, you know, like, like a lot, I mean, you know, he's been unlucky, hasn't he? I mean, the first year was a difficult year because, uh, we were under lockdown. So it was a very difficult way to be introduced to English football. Uh, he then, you know, he, he's had COVID again, again, hasn't he this year? So he's, he's had a few ups and downs. I, let's, let's, let's see him get a run in the side. And I think that, you know, if I was going to talk about, uh, habits in a slightly different way than the way we did before, I would say it's really difficult to know you know, what his best position is. I think you could say that about a lot of Chelsea players at the moment, but particularly with Havertz. And I think he needs to to get that kind of run, not just to get his form up but and his confidence up, but also to try and get established as a, a certain type of player for Chelsea. Because I think it's been really hard on that level as well, because, he, you know, you can't say, well, he's the, this kind of a player or that kind of a player. You know, and I think maybe a little bit of a run in the side and, and to kind of embed him in and establish him as, well, yeah, he's our he's the player that plays there, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, playing uh, next to Lukaku is the future for him, uh, certainly in the short term, but uh, I've got no doubts about him. I think he's got all the talent in the world. I, I, I'd like his attitude as well. I mean, what we didn't mention, Nick, was that he, how cool he was on that penalty. Good yep. God. I mean, a few minutes to go, 
I mean, I was shitting myself, you know, and, and he just, he was as cool as a cute. I have to say, you know, the one thing I, I thought, I thought, thank God that Havertz is taking it because uh, he's German and they don't miss penalties. Yeah. Unless they're Schweinsteiger, obviously. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> when you said, but I was just thinking about, about Ashley Colfing, it's like, do you have those penalties? They do now or whatever. That's yeah, that's from. right. That's but right. yeah, no, exactly. And also, I can't like when I saw Cut, I was also a bit nervous because I was also still aware that the Super Cup penalty was, was fresh in my memory as well, obviously the one that he missed there. And interestingly, I was actually said, talk about it, a lot of people just were like, Aspie's taking, Aspie's taking. I was thinking, well, Aspie's actually fairly done quite well with taking penalties for us in shootouts if I can remember obviously I think aside from from Frankfurt but I remember in general that he's pretty good at pens for us but my thought at the time was like as P winning us for Club World Cup there's, there's you know the narrative art behind this is beautiful but no all credit you know he's, he sold us you know he, said, he confused us we talked about it earlier brilliant brilliant management there you know taking all the pressure off Kai and yeah Kai coolly coolly delivered and yeah two goals and finals for us so yeah exactly he as I say this I always say this I say this to a lot of people whatever he reminds me and I maybe it's a bit extreme but he I always I think like if we let him go it would be the mistake of you know repeating the same mistake that we did letting Kevin De Bruyne go all those years ago whatever you know however much he needs to improve however much more he needs to show I think anyone with a functioning pair of eyes can see that the talent is there and the quality is there and that in a few years he will be one of the best in the world I genuinely do believe he'll be one of the best in Europe it's just a question of how we get him there and how we can coax him into being one of the best in the world uh, penultimate question comes in from Dan Hill. Um, what did you learn from this match? Do you need prescription heart medication? <laughs> and in all seriousness, do you feel like our attack needed ZH today? And how can we score more goals in the rest of the season? I mean, there are four questions in that one, uh, Dan. But I guess, I guess, Chidge, what did we learn anything new from this match, or was it kind of more of the same? And uh, do you need <laughs> prescription heart medication? Well, I don't. I don't need to to learn anything more about the fact that Chelsea never make it easy on you. Uh, and I, I found the whole thing excruciating to watch. But I, I really wanted to win this. I know it might sound daft, but I, I hope I explained that a bit earlier on. But it really meant a lot to me that we would win this particular competition so that I can run around and give it large to all of my mates who support Spurs and Arsenal, saying that we're the, we're the world champions, you'll never be the world champions. And also to complete the whole set, I felt that that was a really important thing for the club as well. So I found the whole damn thing excruciating. I mean, to be honest, Dan, I find it hugely excruciating watching Chelsea on TV at any time. Uh, I much prefer watching us, you know, in the flesh because I've usually had a few beers um, with mates. You get wrapped up in the whole atmosphere and you feel more part of it and you feel you have more influence, weirdly. I know you don't, but you do feel that you do. Uh, so, yeah, I found it an excruciating experience and oh, it was awful. I mean, I, I, you know, when Havertz took that penalty, I thought, oh, my God, oh, my God. Uh, but I, 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 I whooped out a very uh, large amount of noise when he put it in the back of the net. Um, what was the rest of the question? Uh, in, all, uh, in all seriousness, do you feel like our attack needed ZX today? And how can we score more goals in the rest of the season? I feel then those two questions, yeah, quite, yeah, quite to answer. I th- yeah, I mean, I think, I think we answered a lot of those questions yeah. earlier on, didn't we? I mean, was I, yeah, I was, I was actually surprised that, uh, that ZH wasn't playing down. I think I, I think I might have picked him in my, uh, you know, I do a little, uh, I, I kind of, for some bizarre reason, I, I take on the responsibility for selecting the team for the Chelsea Fancast preview show, largely so JK can poo-poo most of it, which is what he does. But it, ZH was in my starting 11. I actually had ZH, Havertz and Lukaku starting because I, I was kind of going on the presumption that we might go four at the back and have some sort of a weird 2-2-2 two, two, two or, or or even 3-2-1 or whatever. But I have Mount slightly deeper so kind of Kovacic, Jorginho, a mount, if you like, in a three, or if you like, uh, mount next to Ziyech in a two, because I thought they worked really, really well together. 
recently uh, on the right. So I, I had I had Ziyech starting. So I was surprised that he wasn't. But I'll be honest with you, when I saw that the starting three in the in the in the three four three was in fact uh, Lukaku, Havertz, and Mount, I was very pleased to see that because I thought that I think that's our best attacking three. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly, Dan. And as as for your final part of the question, how can we score more goals in the rest of the season? Um, just simply put the ball in the back of the net more than we have currently. I, I, gen- I genuinely don't really know how we we do that. Probably need to create better better chances for our side. Oh. But I feel like we kind of talk about this probably nearly every single week. How well, do we, we have? Yeah. Well, um, we, we the one thing we haven't mentioned today, actually, Nick, about that is is, is there was a brilliant article uh, by Liam Toomey, who I think you know quite well. Liam's an old mate of mine. Uh, about Chelsea's attacking and lack of creativity. Uh, and I think the one thing that's glaringly obvious, and the, this goes back to the midfield issue that I was talking about, and I, and, and I don't mean to be pointing the finger at Jorginho and the like, but it is true. We don't move the ball forward quick enough. We don't move the ball forward quick enough. And, and when you're up against really organised packed defences, you know, one of the ways you get an advantage is by doing just that. And we don't. We move it too slowly. We move it side to side. We mentioned Hudson Odoi earlier on putting that cross in with his left foot, which was far more effective than what we also saw him doing, which is immediately cutting back and trying to do it on his right, which inevitably means the defender can block him off far more easily and then he has to pass square. You know, so I think I think Tuchel needs to get on them about this. I can't I mean, there's a theory, isn't there, that a lot of these kind of possession uh, obsessed managers like Tuchel uh uh, more frightened and I mean you know I can understand it in a way because you know you're very vulnerable to the counter-attack a lot of these teams play for the counter-attack so he's very mindful of not giving the ball away so you know that but I think that just makes teams more risk averse and of course makes them more negative and less likely to score so he's got to take the break off a bit as well I think yeah no and what I will say is I you know Kovacic I think is one player who actually has improved quite a lot in playing that more penetrative ball and playing you know releasing that pass a bit earlier, I think you look at, you know, just even looking at him this year, the most assists he's recorded for Chelsea in the season, he does seem to play a lot few more, you know, fast forward progressive buzz. But no, I do agree that watching us, particularly in these last two games, and yes, obviously the heat also might be a factor trying not to expend too much energy, but it was very slow watching us. It was it was quite dull uh, watching us. Anyway, the final question comes in from Anna. Based on our performance during this match, who would you put in the lineup for Crystal Palace next Saturday? Because Chidge, that is where our attention now turns to. We go back to the Premier League, if we if we rule Reese James out pretty from the fact that he's still not played since injury and that will still probably be too soon, and we presume that Mount is out for Palace, uh, I guess you know you know you will do your team on the Friday preview show. But if I can press you for one as of right now, what what kind of team are you are you looking at for for the Crystal Palace game? Uh good question. Um, I mean, I think the the first question is if he's going to play three at the back or uh, or four. You know, because I think that changes things massively. I think the second one is going to be who's fit. I mean, I'm, I'll be amazed if Mount's fit, but you never know. If Mount is not fit, I'd be quite tempted to start with Havertz, Lukaku and Pulisic. Not least because, as Nick said earlier, Pulisic has got a good record against uh, against Palace. Will he play wing-backs? If he, play, if he plays, you know, three at the back, then, I, then he's going to play wing-backs. Then the question is, does he play Alonso on the left or Hudson-Odoi? Um I mean, I'm quite happy with Hudson Odoi. Actually, I think he can do a job there. Um, Alonso's lack of pace always worries me. Uh, Aspie can do a job as right wing back, as he proved and has proven many, many a time. But he's no, he's no Reese James. Um, I think the big, the, the real issue is, you know, if, if whether he, well, I, in a sense, whether he plays four at the back or or, or three. The interesting conundrum is who plays out of Jorginho, Kante, 
and uh, Jorginho. I suspect Jorginho will get a start, having not played this weekend. Um, but, I mean, he may have a knock, which is maybe why he didn't start yesterday. So that's difficult to know, isn't it? I'm a great fan of keeping Kante wrapped in cotton wool and only wheeled out for big games, actually, because he's clearly been struggling with injury on and off for the last couple of seasons now. So I'd be happy with Kovacic and Jorginho. And, uh, you know, the back picks itself really, doesn't it, providing they're all fit. But, I mean, you know, your ideal back three is Rudiger, Silva and Christensen. Um, uh, if one of those is injured or, 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 or he plays four at the back, then you've always got Saar, who's doing a decent job, I think, and uh, Chaloba, who I think is excellent. So I think a lot of the side, in a sense, picks itself, really, doesn't it? But there are a few conundrums, particularly the Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic one, and uh, whether he plays three or four at the back. Yeah, obviously, I've just got the Chelsea line from when we played Crystal Palace earlier in the season. Stanford, at first game of the season, Chelsea in a 3-4-2-1. It was Mendy in goal, Chalabar, Christensen, Rudy give a back three. Azpilicueta and Alonso were the wingbacks. Jorginho and Kovacic for midfield two. Uh, Mountain Pulisic behind Werner. So, obviously, that, that was a team that played Crystal Palace. And then, from memory that game, we played pretty well, but Werner was pretty anonymous playing up front, almost on, as a lone forward, who would have kind of predicted that. I reckon the back three, yeah, I'd go Mendy, Christensen, Silva, Rudiger. Although maybe, again, it'd be interesting to see, does Silva maybe get rested given that we have well, the Lille first leg coming up? We have, uh, we'll then have a Carabao Cup final. Silva obviously just played the two games of Carabao Cup. There might be a decision to be made there. You know, Christensen could slot into the middle. Does Chalabur, who's not played for a bit, no, does he come onto our right-hand side? Uh, wingbacks, uh, if we use the wingbacks, I think Aspilicueta will be wingback. And to be honest, I don't really have a problem, too much of a problem with Marcus Alonso as a left wingback there against Palace. He's, you know, not played as much, re- you know, didn't play you know, in the um, in the Palmeiras game. So maybe he's an option there. Uh, yeah, like you said, Chidge, wrap Kante up in Cotton Wool, please. We've got the Lille first leg in the Carabao Cup final, which I'd imagine he'll probably play a part in. Um, so those would be my midfield too. Uh, if we rule Mason Mount out, then yeah, I would have Havertz and Pulisic uh, behind Rom up top because I said, I think, you know, Pulisic, whatever you think of him, he has a very good record against Crystal Palace. And I think things like this do actually, do actually matter because these players just have certain clubs that they do really like playing against Havertz also was very good in the game against Crystal Palace last year. And I think Rom, you know, this is the type of opposition he needs to be scoring against. This is the type of games that we kind of, we bought him for these type of games. So that would be my team. So yeah, Mendy, uh, Christensen, Chalaba, uh, Christensen, Silva, Rudiger, Aspi, Alonso, Georgie, Cover, Pulisic, Havertz and Lukaku would be my team for Crystal Palace. But obviously this is all depending on who is available. And we will have to see if any players uh, become unavailable in the time from now till then but those were all the questions that got sent in this week it was a very fun podcast to record discussing being champions of the world a brilliant brilliant feeling uh chidge before you go give yourself one last plug where people can find you on twitter where they can find the brilliant chelsea fancast where they come to listen to the show tonight on a sunday instead of a mm, monday yeah where they can find you know your website uh and obviously the brilliant fan bite from jonathan kidd as well oh yeah well i mean talk about the fan bite first i mean the story behind that is that you know, Jonathan's obsessed with doing video. And he says, you've you, you got a YouTube channel. We, we should be doing YouTube stuff. You know, everybody's doing YouTube. I said, I don't give a shit, JK. I, you know, and I've, I've had this YouTube channel for years because uh, we used to do the show on TV as well once upon a time, which gave us lots of video content. So I had a YouTube channel and then I, I had a problem with the password and stuff getting in and, and I just couldn't be asked to find it again. So it just sat there for doing nothing for about five years. Anyway, JK's idea was to do little videos of uh, post-match summaries with all of us. He wanted to use it as an idea to get every... Because, I mean, the thing about the fan cast, what a lot of people don't know, number one, everybody 
who's a regular on the fan cast are actually friends of mine that I go to the games with. And that's absolutely fundamental to me. If you, if we've not had a drink or three and watched a match together, then, you know, you don't get on. Um, but I have a lot of friends, luckily, because I've been going a long time. And, uh, I mean, we've got a pretty, I mean, a big, we've got a big squad, Nick, that I have to manage. I mean, there are 12 regulars on the show who all fulfill that criteria and all have been doing it for a long time now. But we're a very tight-knit group. We get on very, very well. Um, but, you know, there's, a lot of, there's quite a lot of squad rotation as a result of that. I, I tell you, I have, a, I have a bit of a tinker man reputation, possibly. But anyway, JK wanted to introduce all of us to the wonderful world of video by doing this. And I did a few with him last season, but I was usually far too pissed and he, I used to embarrass him. So he, as, anyway, cutting a long story short, I was supposed to do to start this off with him and I, I didn't turn up because I was too pissed. So he did it on his own. And he was so, and, and we looked at it and it was so good. We all said, mate, we, we, we're not going to do it with you because why would we? You're so good at this on your own. We'd just make it worse. So why don't you do it on your own? And I mean, JK, to be fair to him, was very humble about it. Said, no, 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 no. It's all supposed to be about all of us. We said, JK, you're brilliant. You are a genius at this. You have to do this on your own. So that's kind of how it started. And they are just brilliant. I mean, he's hilarious. He's just absolutely brilliant. He's a genius. He just fits so much into two minutes. And he's very funny, very honest about it. And it's, uh, we love it. So there's the old fan bite that he puts out on Twitter. But yes, cutting a long story short, we uh, record the shows on a Monday evening at seven and a Friday evening. We do a preview show at seven. Um, we do it live. So you can listen to this thing called Mixler, uh, com, uh, And then we, we chuck it up on the podcast airwave soon after that. So we've been doing it since 2008, Monday, Friday, unless we do it on a different day, which we are tonight. So we're doing our show tonight. Uh, we're Chelsea Fancast at uh, ChelseaFancast.com is the website. Acast is the podcast platform and all the other usual podcast platforms. At Stanford Jidge is my Twitter and social media handle and at Chelsea Fancast for all the social media for the Chelsea Fancast. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, for people who've been listening to us, you know, we've been very fortunate to have the brilliant Adam Newson on and you also see the likes of Adam on the Chelsea Fancast, normally on the Friday night preview show as well so make sure you check them out brilliant podcast you know the ogs of chelsea podcasting they uh, do an absolutely brilliant job and um yeah it's always a pleasure chatting to chidge on on here it's been you know chidge is quite funny you talked about you know earlier about abramovich you know the super league stuff when we last spoke to you is the manchester city fa cup semi-final about a few hours before you know it broke but chelsea were joining yeah. the super league so quite i guess quite nice uh you know symmetry there or whatever but as for us we're on twitter at that chelsea podcast on instagram about Chelsea Podcast, we're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. You can give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. You can also give us a, a rating on Spotify. So please jump on there and give us a rating. Um, yeah, whenever I tweet, put out likes, retweets, just share it about and play it to anyone who's got a functioning pair of ears, please, because hopefully they'll enjoy it. And obviously they will enjoy listening to the brilliant Stanford Chidge. But until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.